Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? It's the Blazer's Edge podcast. We're doing a special edition because even though Neil Olshay promised no fireworks, there seems to be a lot of activity coming from the Blazer's front office in the first couple of days of free agency. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and I am joined today to help me co-host by my Women's Hoops and Talks co-host, Cassidy Gamet. Cassidy, hello. Hello. Excited to talk to you about everything that has been going on. And we are joined by a couple of of writers from Blazer's Edge. We've got uh, writer Nate Mann, and we also have editor and writer Isaiah De Los Santos with us. Hey, guys. Welcome. Hey. Glad to be here. So, Nate, I believe this is the first time you've been on the Blazer's Edge podcast, so welcome. Thank you. Would you like to just take a minute and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, um, I'm Nate Mann. I write for Blazer's Edge, obviously. Um, I'm a student at the University of Oregon, and I've been a Blazer's fan my whole life, but it's kind of just coming back these last few years, and the team's starting to get exciting, so it's good timing. Awesome. Well, we are glad to have you and glad to have you on board with Blazer's Edge. Okay, so y'all, since this is, I'm joined by Cassidy today, and Cassidy and I start all of our podcasts off with an icebreaker. You all also get to participate in the icebreaker today. So Cassidy, you want to get us going? Yeah, so I've been thinking Lopez brothers are reuniting in Milwaukee, which makes me think of mascots. And I'm just wondering if you could punch any mascot. (laughs) Who would you punch? I want to hear Nate's answer first. Oh, man. Um, I'm, I'm throwing it back for my answer. Um, it was, I had to look this up to see what year it was. Cause I only remembered it, but the Pelicans had a mascot in 2014 and it was a baby Oh, and it was like King cakes, something, something really weird like that. And I, I just can't believe an NBA team said it was okay to have a very creepy looking baby be their actual mascot, like dressed up on the court. So I think that's where I would put my punch. <laughs> Mine's going towards the Hawks. The Hawks is mascot named Harry the Hawk. He's just really kind of creepy and has these like really scary eyes. And you know, if I saw him on the street, I would probably you know want to punch him. So yeah, that's my answer. Cassidy. Okay, so I have seen that stupid State Farm commercial with Clutch so <laughs> many times, and I can't do it again. I just. I don't know why he's so mad at Blaze. So I'm going with Clutch. I just want to punch his face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So mine would be Rumble the Bison from OKC because he legitimately scares me. Like, he's just, I don't know. He's just scary. <laughs> I just would run if I saw him coming my way. So, okay. Well, how have y'all felt about this no fireworks uh, <laughs> off season? <laughs> Definitely wasn't no fireworks. <laughs> I was out of town. It was quite and the really, misdirect. 
yeah, I was really hoping nothing would really happen for a while so I could be ready. And that didn't happen. I am in the same boat as you. I was at a four-day bachelorette party while free agency was going down. And I had my phone under the table just freaking out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly a uh, a very active. I mean, really, it started early with the Bazemore-Turner trade. Which I don't know if this season to you all has any reminds you at all of the season, you know, where the big turnover was um, when LaMarcus left, which was heralded by the um, the Batum trade that remember that happened first and then all the other stuff happened afterward afterwards. So just kind of reminded me of that, except for there was no LaMarcus to walk away. That was the same season, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I should have looked that up before I said that. <laughs> I I don't have the same. I don't know. Some people have the most incredible memories of minutia that I just admire so much. But I honestly can't even remember what happened like at the end of the season. I just remember the Sacramento game and everything after that is a blur. There was a Sacramento game. There was a four overtime game. There was the shot there's a lot of good stuff, but like as far as like the specific details of it, they come and they go. <laughs> I have a really hard time tracking. Okay, well, we're not going to talk about the past. We're going to talk about the future because it is wide open right now for the Blazers. What I want to know, so Steve, uh, Steve and I talked a bit about the Basemore Turner trade. We talked about the Blazers re-signing Rodney Hood, and for just a moment, we touched on Mario Hazonja. But I want to know what everybody's first thoughts were when you found out that Portland was trading for Hassan Whiteside. Who wants to start? How about you, Nate? Okay. Um, So (laughs) my first thought was that Neil Olshay is just picking up everybody he didn't get in 2016 (laughs) and then getting rid of everybody he did get. Um, So that was my first thought. And then once I kind of like got the jokes out of the way, I thought about Whiteside and then my first thought was the issues he's had in Miami. I don't know why I went so negative first, but I just remember Bam starting over him. And I feel like for someone getting paid $25 plus million, that's not really a good sign. But as far as the positional need, I feel like it's good because the Blazers need someone while Nurkic is gone. And I mean, Whiteside's more than a capable backup when he's out or when he's back. And then um, to play 30-ish minutes when he isn't like for the first two three months of the season probably more how about you isaiah at first my initial reaction i was like he's gonna be an all-star i mean he's the perfect kind of stopgap center that they need with nurkic out until you know the all-star break that around area uh so i was really excited at first but then i started to write the myers leonard goodbye piece last night for the site and I'll be honest, I had to fight through some tears to get through that one because uh, I'm really sad to see Myers go. And, you know, you're so focused on the new toy that you kind of forget about the old toy that put in all the blood, sweat and tears for you. So I, I, I'm, I'm bit, it's a bittersweet, bittersweet. Uh, yeah, I'm mirroring those sentiments. I'm really excited for Whiteside. And at the same time, I'm like, oh, but Myers, Myers was that last game was so amazing and I'm so glad that that got to be I guess the end of it but also it would have been a great new beginning so sad 
Yeah, I shared a lot of the thoughts that y'all talked about because I do remember in 2016, <laughs> I really remember uh, Hassan Whiteside's Snapchat um, video that he released because I remember thinking I had to figure out how to use Snapchat. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh no. But uh, he you know, said that he was staying in Miami and then he staged this like dramatic walkout of his apartment, which was very strange. But anyway, I remember that because that summer Blazers were like, uh, or Blazer fans were like in, really interested in Dwight Howard and Hassan Whiteside and all these guys who randomly, who their names started with H. And I was like, no, they're never going to get a guy whose name starts with an H. And lo and behold, all these years later, they did. What I'm curious about is, do you think that the things that they liked in Whiteside back then are the same things they need him for now? Or have they just kind of had his eyes on him and been like, this seems like he seems like a good, like, you know, you're saying like a good stopgap. Hmm. I, I think back then he was much more of a premier center than he is now because he, I mean, he was blocking everything. And then now people know that he tries to block literally every shot that's in the paint. <laughs> and so people are smart and or players are smart and you just wait for him to come over and then make that extra pass. And so I don't know if it was really so much of an addition to hold down the paint so much. And I'm sure that's like obviously a thought, especially with Nurkic being out and he was the, the best center on the team, especially defensively but I think it was more of compared to some of the other options either in free agency or via trade to be a a serviceable center on both ends of the floor and then also to be like um I think Isaiah mentioned it the rim runner and then like like both sides of the floor just being in the paint and being a body because they didn't really have like a big guy like that. Collins can't really body with the big men. And then Myers likes to stand on the perimeter a lot. Yeah, I think Neil had his eye on him in that 2016 offseason. And, you know, circumstances, one thing leads to another. Nurkic gets hurt. Uh, Whiteside becomes available in a trade, obviously. And, you know, I think O'Shea just felt uh, compelled to pull the trigger. And it made sense. Uh, where this team stands right now. If Nurkic is healthy, I'm not sure if they make this same trade, but uh, with Nurkic out, the the trade makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's not something where Olshay is kind of stretching his arm at all. It fits what the team needs right now. So when I was going back and reading about, reading up on Hassan Whiteside, first of all, I thought he was younger than he was. So he just turned 30. And I thought that, he was, you know, in his late mid 20s. But what I really forgot about was that it took him a while to break into the league, that he mm-hmm. was drafted by the Kings. He was there for a couple of years, but spent most of his time in the G League. And then he actually went away and played overseas for a couple of years, was out of the league before he came and was able to make it in Miami. So he kind of also sort of fits that profile of a guy that has a lot to prove, you know? Um, So Nate, you touched on it a little bit about some of the things that, you know, were coming out of Miami about his attitude and stuff. Do you guys want to talk about that a little bit and whether or not you feel like Portland is a good place for him or if it's a risky move that you're at all worried about? Yeah, I've, 
I don't really know that much about the Miami Heat. I'll, I don't pay much attention to them. But I just, it was a story for a while. And I mean, that's never a good sign. But then again, the Blazers have one of the best, if not the best, locker room leadership players in Dame. And then just the chemistry from running it back the last few years. Like those guys knew each other well. And you could see from when they were getting traded or signing elsewhere that like they're reaching out on social media and probably via text and other things. So I, I think Whiteside will obviously have better leadership than he did in Miami. I don't know if that's going to um, set him straight, I guess, for lack of better words. But then again, also a lot of the pieces that were part of the Blazers locker room presence are now gone. Also, like I know E.T. was always mentioned as being one of those guys and he's no longer there. So hopefully it works out. <laughs> yeah, I think I shared kind of the same hesitation just a little bit, uh, like Nate said, where you're losing a lot of the guys that were part of the the culture that they cultivated in the locker room. You do have Dame, you do still have CJ, Terry Stotts, uh, Neil O'Shea, but you know, losing guys like ET or Myers Leonard, who's been here for seven seasons, and he's just been as much as part of the culture as you know Damian Lillard has since they came in the same draft class, and losing a glue guy like Aminu or ET, uh, you know. It won't be the same locker room, but at the same time, I still have the confidence in a Dame and a CJ, you know, to tell him how things are done in Portland. And I have the confidence that he'll he'll fall in line and, you know, he'll see that it'll pay dividends for him to buy into the team culture. And even Bazemore now, too. I mean, he's already been uh, reaching out with Simons. And I mean, that's always a good sign kind of replacing E.T.'s role. Yeah, Bazemore has been really complimented as a, a great locker room presence. So, you know, they lose some guys, but they're bringing in Bazemore to compliment, you know, a Dame and a CJ. So it, they're not just throwing their chemistry in locker room out the window. Cassie, do you have any additional thoughts on how, you know, what we've heard about Whiteside coming from Miami? I was excited to see that he was excited. <laughs> so I think seeing him be that excited about it gave me a little bit more faith of like, maybe this is someone who just really needed a change of scenery and this could be the new outlook that he needs to kind of focus up and be that more of a team guy. So I'm hopeful. Right. You know, that's a great point. I was reading some articles from written, you know, in Miami about him and one of the th- sort of themes that came out at least over this last season as he lost his starting position um, was him talking about them not using him in a role that he liked and that he wanted to shoot more, which I thought was interesting as Portland, pretty much anybody on Portland has the green light to shoot whenever they get a shot and that it's important that you take that shot. I mean, we watched all those times Stotts yelling at Myers because he didn't take the shot. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that could be part of maybe why he is excited is he's thinking, you know, not only is he going to be surrounded by shooters, but there'll be the opportunity for him to maybe take more shots. I personally went immediately and looked up how many dunks he does because you guys know I like dunking, <laughs> and um, he is a prolific dunker. He last year had 151 dunks in 72 games, which is uh, more than twice as much as what Yusuf Nurkic had, who was having a career year, personally dunk-wise, um, in the same number of games. So I'm looking forward to some big, gigantic dunks. And the other thing I was really worried about 
was with all the players who were leaving was the lack of rebounding. And Whiteside just seems like one of those guys who, you know, eats up rebounds. Uh, Eric Griffith wrote an article today kind of talking about the pros and cons of of Whiteside and talking about how, you know, it could be that he's like a real difference maker in all of these different ways, or it could be another J.J. Hickson situation. Um, and I don't know how much you guys remember J.J. Hickson, and but he ate rebounds. They weren't a great team, but he was at least fun to watch, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's my thought on that. Uh, Cassie, you want to ask the next question? Yeah. So when Blazers signed Cantor, we talked a lot about how Cantor plays similar to Nurkic. And so the idea was that when Nurkic was off on the bench, the Blazers would send in a big body down the lane and to the rim and punish anybody who was smaller than themselves. And so I'm wondering, in what ways does Whiteside's game kind of mirror Nurkic? And in which ways are they different? Well, they're definitely both big bodies because I don't think the Blazers were going to be running a lot of pick and rolls so much with Zach Collins, more pick and pops, I guess. Yeah. And then those screens aren't even that helpful compared to Nurkic's, at least because he's just a brick wall. But I've heard that Whiteside also isn't too keen on setting screens. So, uh, and he, he has a much thinner frame than Nurkic. So I'm sure they'll still run pick and rolls because that's just the Blazers' offense and he's the center. But my hope is that they get him rim running a little bit more than they do Nurkic because Whiteside, even though Nurkic isn't a good mid-range shooter and he really only takes it when he's wide open, he has those nice little like half-flip shots. And I really don't think Whiteside has a whole lot outside of like the restricted area. And I'm looking at his shot chart right now and there's a lot of red around the hoop. Uh, so I hope that they really just force feed him the ball in pick and rolls and don't try to ask him to do too much or do what Nurkic did or what they would have Zach Collins do with popping out to the mid range or to the three point line. Yeah, I think Whiteside and Nurkic are both incredible inside finishers. You look at Whiteside, he had a 50, 57% field goal percentage last season. Nurkic had 50%. So they're both, you know, half of the time they're making those shots. So, you know, that's a good sign that he's a big who knows, you know, how to be a big in the paint and score. Uh, the, the one thing that I'm thinking about is how Nurkic is so good in the pick and roll, like Nate said, but especially as a passer. Because you could put him in the high post and he would make those backdoor passes and he would know, you know, how to make the right reads out of that high post. And he had 233 total assists last season. Whiteside only had 56 total. And they, like Tara mentioned, they played the same amount of games, 72. So, you know, that's uh, almost like an assist a game for Whiteside. So I'm a little worried about the, you know, the assist part of it. But as Nate kind of said, you know, Whiteside's a little, uh, doesn't like the, the pick and roll as much. So it looks like it might be a lot of, you know, force feeding him in the paint. And he showed that he can, convert those so i have high hopes at least for his inside game yeah that passing point is really good because i'm like he has he's played 343 games in his career and he has 203 assists so he's not much of a passer and nurkic had 233 in one season last year (laughs) wow (sighs) yeah so it sounds like he's not the same kind of player except that he's seven feet tall um, I mean, because Nurkic, you know, doesn't dunk 
uh, he does those little flip shots and he likes to pass out, you know, pass the pass the ball out. Hassan Whiteside seems like he prefers the dunks and he prefers to be the finisher. And um, yeah, so it sounds like in terms of, you know, the way they play off the center, things might look a little bit different in terms of like the game. Yeah, I think it's a lot like Cantor coming in. Cantor, if you gave him the ball in the post, he was most likely putting up a shot. Like, let's be honest, you know, he wasn't really looking to kick out and find guys in the corner when the defense collapses. You know, that was something Nurkic was really good at. But at the same time, Cantor, you know, you could depend on him for a bucket in the post. And I have the same kind of hopes for Whiteside. Yeah, Cantor could pass, though, when he needed to. Like, he he's had some, he did, I think, show some flashes. But you, that reminds me, I haven't looked, but... um. Do you guys know off the top of your head what um, Whiteside's post play is like? I don't know if it's that uh, colorful <laughs> from what I've seen. It, it's like I think he has a, a good hook shot because he's so lanky and um, it, it's hard to defend. But I'm pretty sure once he gets out of like that direct restricted area, he's not putting the moves on anyone or making tough shots very frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with him, you know, doubling up Nurkic's dunks uh, in one season you know he's going to be more of an over-the-top threat and that's it provides a new angle for the Blazers offense with you know Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum maybe throwing him some lobs right yeah maybe we'll have the finally the uh, return of the frequent (laughs) alley-ooping from we can only hope well let's (laughs) anything else anybody wants to say about Cantor before we move on because we got more new players to talk about um, oh, did I say Cantor? I meant Whiteside. I was going to say, for Cantor, the six-minute thing is weird. We should talk about Cantor, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys think about all that? So I was, weird. Yeah, I, I, don't, I feel like we don't know what goes on behind the scenes a lot of the times in these trades and signings. But then the six minutes, I didn't really believe it at first. Like, I get that it was quick, I'm sure. But uh, when Dame added his comments... You kind of think back of like, did Cantor expect more or less money the whole time? Like, it was pretty much clear what was going to be on the table for him come this mm-hmm. summer. And I'm sure other things happened with um, choosing to give the taxpayer, if that's what happened, to Hood instead. And that kind of jumbled what they were able to offer him. But I feel like it, it's been clear for a while, like, the maximum ma- amount of money the Blazers were going to give and that it likely wasn't going to be a long term contract. Yeah, I think Cantor maybe played up. A- the uh, drama to it maybe just a little bit because you know dame put him in check a little bit and said hey you know maybe you had really 45 minutes and you know you just you cut out that part and you just said there was six minutes left on the clock so you know no hard feelings Cantor played through an injury in the playoffs uh couldn't be happy happier for him in boston yeah, I rolled my eyes so hard when I when he <laughs> <laughs> said that I mean that was kind of like the Cantor era was awesome but I didn't think it was going to last very long because um, he's just like, you know, that remember the I mean, you, like you said, he played through an injury. He played better than anybody thought. He played better than I ever expected that we he would play. But there's a lot of drama involved. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like super happy for him that he's getting, um, you know, that, you know, he's got a place to call home now uh, for the Celtics. 
But yeah, I just my whole thing was like I just rolled my eyes so hard. I don't know if you guys saw like a couple of years ago during the maybe it was the 2016 summer. I don't know. It was JJ Reddick's first stint with Philadelphia and he was doing his podcast and he did a really long and length, lengthy explanation of what that free agency period like the day was like like when he got the call and when he had to make his decision and he talked about how like they called him and they were like okay here's the offer you have 10 minutes to call us back and his battery was like on red and he was like in the middle of a run and so he had to like run all the way back to his apartment to be able to go like plug his phone in plus he had to like call so it was like he knew that like he knew that when the call came that he was going to have limited time and he was going to have to just drop everything and figure it out. So like, I feel like these guys know that there are going to be like short turnaround times, whether or not at six minutes or 45 minutes, or like you said, he probably had a pretty good idea what the Blazers were going to, were going to offer. So it was just kind of like, okay, that's just a little bit dramatic, but bless his heart. He was, he was everything the Blazers needed right when they needed it and we'll never forget him for that Mm -hmm. okay let's switch over to mario hazonia because uh the blazers added him late on the first day of free agency at a veteran minimum i'm very puzzled about mario hazonia's role uh i can't figure out what position he plays um, so I'm wondering how y'all see him fitting in with the Blazers. And one thing that I did read about him was that at the very end of his time, I think with the Knicks, they like basically threw him in and had him play point forward and he got like a triple double. So <laughs> I don't, I'm very confused about who he is. What are your guys' thoughts? Uh, the Knicks are just such a weird team. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, putting him at point guard, I don't know, maybe he had shown flashes of being able to facilitate, but then again, they were also trying to lose games, so I don't know if that's really, like, pointing in the direction we want it to point. Uh, But, I mean, they did lose E.T., and then if they have Simons coming off the bench as the backup point guard, uh, that raw of a player is going to make a lot of mistakes and turn the ball over a lot, so I don't know if they really want him being the primary ball handler. And then with C.J., running staggered i don't know if they really want him to always be the primary ball handler but to just be able to score in isolation so hazonia might get the chance to i don't i don't even know what position they want him to play i'm i'm also very confused by this i think it was just like a a noticeable uh pre or he was once a lottery player and he was available for a minimum deal and olshay it just checked too many boxes for olshay and he had to do it yeah, I mean, he's just kind of a big body, but, you know, there's some talent in there. Like you said, with him getting a triple-double, you know, I've heard anything from point or power forward, you know, to point forward. So I don't think anyone really knows uh, what position Mario Hazonia really is. Maybe Mario Hazonia doesn't really know what position he is. You know, he's he was a, the number five pick in the 2015 NBA draft, and he's never really lived up to that top billing. So I, I think... An environment where he his strengths will be played up and he won't be asked to do too much within Portland, uh, you know, coming in on a minimum deal and with established guys and established roles. I think it'll be really good for him, you know, just to not have that pressure uh, of that past of the number five pick. And he can just kind of bring what he brings and not worry about bringing something that is maybe outside his skill set. 
Cassidy, what are your thoughts on Hazonia? Um, I watched him play a little bit last year. I don't know too much. I just didn't watch the Knicks, but um, he seemed fun in that triple double game. They still lost real bad, so uh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but I guess you're trying to lose at that point. So um, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm kind of, I yeah, I'm I'm in the puzzled boat as well. I think if they define his role, that will help. Because uh, part of the issue with E.T. was like one year he was a spot-up shooter, which he definitely wasn't. And then this year he was partially a facilitator. And then they stuck him in the dunker spot. And it was just all over. And he wasn't really able to adapt. And I think Hazonia, whatever they decide, as long as it's not a, a three-point shooter, because he's not a good three-point shooter, as long as it's something other than that, if it's like the same thing every game, he should hopefully be able to succeed a little bit more than he has. And he's a young guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Blazers tried to sign him, you know, last last summer. So, you know, Neil O'Shea obviously sees something in him. Uh, you know, maybe he's his next great reclamation project. Um, how about the return of Anthony Tolliver? I how love it. I love it. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> knows I love shooting. And the Blazers have never had shooting at the forward position. And it's just going to open the floor so much. And I'm actually working on an article about that. So... Um, I'm stoked because he's he's not a liability on defense, which is just great always, um, especially with all the questions we had at power forward like for a couple hours there. Um, but yeah, I'm stoked for for a veteran and a three point catch and shoot three pointer guy who spaces the floor, and then a smart defensive player who knows when to help and can can defend a couple positions or at least keep people off the perimeter. Yeah, I'm a I'm a sucker for those old those old vets, and you know he's got 11 years under his belt already. You know I've I've always felt that Portland needed a guy like that in their in their team. You know Damian Lillard is kind of an old soul, and you know he's a great you know setting presence. But I always thought you know a guy with some years under his belt, a little like 10 10 plus, would be great for that locker room. And Tolliver's gonna live up to that exactly, just like you know Chris Kamen did a couple of years ago. So you guys like him as a shooter. Is he, do you think, do you see him playing a lot? Yeah. Um, I think because power forward is um, a pretty thin rotation, he will. Yeah, duh. I hadn't even thought about that. Like he's the only power forward right now, I guess, <laughs> besides Collins, I guess. Yeah. And, and we all know that Zach, like every fifth game plays 17 minutes and gets five fouls. And so we'll need Tolliver to pick up some extra minutes. Yeah, I think they they're lacking, you know, a stretch forward too. At that, Collins, his three pointer is sometimes there, sometimes not. It's it's a work in progress. Tolliver's at least, you know, a, a known shooter, so I think that's really going to be key for Portland to space it out for Whiteside, you know, to go to go to work in the paint. So if he does have all these skills, why do you think that he hasn't really, you know, st- stuck anywhere? That's a great question. I think it speaks uh, to him being able to stay in the league and be a, an 11-year veteran. You know, he's found ways to contribute wherever he goes. He's played for the Spurs, Portland, Golden State, Minnesota, Atlanta, Charlotte, Phoenix, Detroit, Sacramento, <laughs> Detroit, Minnesota again. You know, it, he's, he's found a way to at least, you know, make an, an impact wherever he goes. Um, so, you know, if he's an 11-year vet, he's doing something right at least. So and that's kind of an. Sorry, go ahead. 
I was gonna say, so he may not be the flashy player, but he seems like he's the reliable player that, you know, maybe doesn't command the big long contract, but everybody always needs somebody like him on the roster. Yeah, and he's kind of, yeah, it's like an expendable position. There's a lot of bigger guys who can shoot now. I think when he came into the league, that was a bit more rare, but now everybody can shoot. And so it's pretty easy to, not easy, but like there are players, especially at Tolliver's level or better, who can fill the same role that he does. And other than the Blazers, which is why they picked him up. I was just listening to some podcasts of him you know, talking because I was like, oh, I want to learn more about him. And so far, mostly everything I've heard him talk about is like finance and investments. And that guy is so smart. I'm about ready to like take my portfolio to him and have him help out. <laughs> he's um, but he's he sounds like he's one of those guys because he talked a lot about, um, you know, getting, you know, finding, uh, you know, relationships or networking with uh, people all over the country. And he also so he also kind of seems like somebody who's just really curious about developing new things and going to new places. And I think he'll be uh, a really interesting addition to the roster because you know how the Blazers always have to have somebody that's interesting. And, you know, like Evan Turner was just like a fascinating personality. And I think Tolliver's going to turn out to have a lot of interesting layers to him. Definitely. Well, so in overall, looking at what Portland has done so far, what are the way the major ways do you think that they have improved with the moves that they have made? Shooting. <laughs> they've they've improved shooting, and I mean everybody from other than Hazonia, who if and he ends up playing the point forward role, then like he's the swap for Evan Turner, even though that wasn't the trade. And so they cancel each other out, and then there's just much better shooting between no Aminu and no Harkless versus Bazemore and Hood, if you count him as coming back. I know that's now a, a touchy subject if he's a new player or if he's um, just being retained. I but consider him a new player. Me too. It was, yes. it was such a short. It was a, such a short time that we had him. Yeah, and now he knows his role too yeah. for the team, and he's only going to get better. But I would, yeah, definitely shooting. And that's just going to open everything up because Dame each year has gotten better at finishing at the rim. And now that he actually has space and like a a above the rim player, he's just going to be so much better finishing at the rim when he has the chances. And I believe in his playmaking and he's shown it before that he can find his center down in the paint or kick it out to a wing that's capable of knocking down a shot now. So it's just going to open the whole Blazers offense up with these new players. Yeah, I think it's important that they secured a starting caliber center and white side you know, going forward with Nurkic out for an extended period of time. You know, the free agent center market really dried up really fast. And, you know, guys like Ed Davis were off the table by the second day, I think. So, you know, it was like, well, who is Portland going to get for the center position? And they pull off the white side trade. So I think that's huge to have a player who potentially could put up some incredible numbers in a contract year with a heightened position and a heightened culture that he's walking into. And also I think they've kind of improved generally by showing that they're ready to make moves. And everyone knows that the NBA is wide open. The championship is wide open. The fans know it. The front offices know it too. And it's really encouraging to see that Portland is actually making these moves 
to make the roster better. You know, they were just in the West Conference Finals. They're not sitting on their hands and they're actually going out there and, you know, sacrificing locker room guys for pieces that could put them over the top. Cassidy, what do you feel are some of the key improvements? You know, I honestly, I think I'm still stuck a little bit in the emotional phase of it all. (laughs) And I'm not thinking too clearly about the improvements so much, but I see a lot of talent and I think that it could be so much fun if it all clicks. And so I'm really excited to see how it all works out. And I, I'm, yeah. I think the, one of the important things there is if it all clicks, (laughs) because the Blazers have done such a great job so far in terms of getting the right chemistry mix amongst their players. You know, I mean, remember how we were all wringing our hands when, uh, Yusuf Nurkic came in and we were like, oh no. And everyone in Denver was like, good luck with that. <laughs> and then he came and he fit in really well. So uh, I think we all have this expectation that no matter who comes in, he is going to be a great fit and he's going to outperform his expectations. And there's just this little thing in the back of my head sometimes that it's like, at some point, you know, A lot of it has been luck. A lot of it has been planning. But at some point, it might not work. (laughs) And I I worry about that. But before we go into the things that might not work, I just wanted to add the thing that I think that they have improved is they've done what they always do. They have – they've left room for improvement for the guys behind the current marquee players. You know what I mean? So they have, so like, I've I've said this before, like Aminu, as much as I love him, he was never going to be the cornerstone, the long-term solution for the team. So rather than re-sign him because they could, you know, they looked towards the future and, and, you know, decided to spend the money on somebody else who, you know, might make a different kind of an impact and to also clear space for other players. So like Aminu didn't like straight up clear space for Anthony Simons. I get that they play, you know, different positions or whatever, but by not hanging on to, and by, you know, trading guys like Harkless and Myers, they're creating more opportunities for the guys who are on the rise. And so I appreciate about that, about what the Blazers do is that, while they're trying to take care of things immediately, they're also trying to shore up the, you know, their rising stars. You know, people talk all the time about the Warriors dynasty, and I always go on and say, the Warriors are not a dynasty. The Warriors are one of the best teams ever, but they are not a dynasty because a dynasty happens when you turn it over. You know, like we all watched the TV show. Well, you guys didn't because you're like younger than me. But the TV show (laughs) Dynasty was all about the generations and how there was another generation behind the generation that currently held all the power. And the thing about a dynasty is there's another generation coming right up behind. And I think the way the Blazers look at their team building is they look at always making sure that they have guys coming up behind. You know, we've they've already started the dialogue about Anthony Simons, you know, coming up behind Dame and taking over the team. So I thought that they uh, were really successful in continuing that this offseason. I agree. I think so, too. I'm excited. I'm so excited to watch Anthony play. 
Um, but I'm wondering what are the significant gaps that Portland still needs to address? What are we missing? So <laughs> I tweeted this a couple of days ago and I should have known better because everybody loves Simons and he's the, the new golden boy of the team. Mm-hmm. I, I still think that there's going to be problems at backup point guard, um, especially if Hazonia doesn't pan out to do the point forward that we don't really know he could be. Mm-hmm. But Simons is such a raw prospect still. I mean, he only yeah. played a couple games and only a couple of those games. He had like substantial minutes and then everybody points to the Kings game and that wasn't really like NBA level competition so much. It was game 82 and they were down 25 when he really started turning it on. And it was a great game and it shows promise. But like mm-hmm. if they have him handling the ball, he's, he's going to be turning it over a lot. Um, he might be forcing shots or on the other end of the spectrum, not shooting enough because he's a great shooter. So I think that in terms of like second team facilitation and getting the offense going and not just relying on CJ isolating every play that there might be some problems with Simons at point guard and he'll work the kinks out as he goes along. But I mean, we saw with Zach Collins last year who is also like still a raw prospect, but it was a little more polished with the extra year of college compared to Simons that he wasn't really ready for a steady backup role. And that's why they picked up Cantor. So I, I think they might need to pick up an, a vet min point guard or just someone to kind of take the pressure off of Simon's shoulders so early in his career. Yeah, he's so young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, other than point guard, because I have the same kind of hesitations about throwing Simon's just kind of into the fire. Uh, I think a backup center would be good to have just in case that something goes wrong and god forbid it does but you know you never know we were at the game we were talking about with Nurkic. Mm-hmm. you just never know what's going to happen so if they could add someone for a veteran minimum minimum like Pau Gasol or Tyson Chandler you know a guy with a lot of miles and that would be you know his presence would be felt in the locker room and they could be a mentor to Whiteside because we've talked about these kind of attitude problems that he might have uh, I think that would be a great addition as well if you know, if they're deciding between, you know, a point guard or a center. Do you guys think Nurkic is going to hang around the team while he's still rehabbing? I believe he will, but sometimes players don't. I think he will. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, he showed up to that one game or a couple of the playoff games Mm -hmm. when he probably shouldn't have even been out of his bed. (laughs) So I feel like that that's a sign going forward that he's going to be there, even though maybe he shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, he drove midway through the third quarter to show up to uh, whatever game it was to to give Portland a a boost. So, yeah, I I would assume he's he's definitely around. And he's already been to the practice facility, too, since Mm -hmm. being injured. So I feel like, yeah, he'll be there. Because maybe just the, you know, him hanging around, maybe he could, you know, work with Whiteside. I mean, Whiteside's older than him. I I keep forgetting how old Whiteside is. Yeah. and so, like, that's kind of one of the things that I worry about is, like, you know, how much energy is Dame going to have to um, put on just balancing out the chemistry between all the players. But, you know, maybe if Nurkic is hanging around, too, he can, you know, kind of help out with some of that. Even if he's not able to play, he can still have a meaningful presence in the locker room. Do you guys remember when Robin Lopez, Lopez broke his hand and he was bored, so he just went with the team on the road trips because he didn't have yeah. anything else to do? So <laughs> I see Nurkic being like that. Like, what else am I going to do? I'll go hang out with you guys. 
<laughs> That'd be awesome. Okay, well, I think we've touched on some of the highlights. We're not sure if the Blazers are over, but it sure seems like they're probably getting um, close to done. They've already started practice for summer league, so they got to work on focus on defending that championship right now. So hopefully they're all focused on that because I really want to have a two-time championship team. So let's end tonight with another uh, with a league-wide question. Everyone's hanging around waiting to find out where Kawhi is going to go. I'm not going to ask you where you think Kawhi is going to go. I want to know when y'all think Kawhi is going to make his announcement. Cassie, do you want to start? Yeah, I think it's going to either be, I think it might be uh, the night before 4th of July, late night. And I think it just might be a Woj bomb. And that's it. Just like in the middle of the night and then no other words or anything. <laughs> I think I'm just hoping that's what happens. What do you guys think? Oh, man. I don't – I feel like – wasn't there something with Gordon Hayward uh, when he signed with the Celtics that he waited until 4th of July to, like, do this Players Tribune thing? I feel like it's going to be on 4th of July just to, like, distract people from the holiday. That seems like a Kawhi move. Um but I I don't know if he's gonna tell like one of the big names like Woj or Shams. Um, also, it just does. He seems to just do everything differently. So I feel like it'll be like Chris Haynes or someone else who's gonna break Ooh, the news. I like that. Yeah, because wasn't Chris Haynes the guy who got like kind of messed with because of Gordon Hayward saying because he had to like they had to finish editing his uh, Players <laughs> Tribune piece. Yeah. And, like, Chris Haynes had already announced it, and then they were like, no, this hasn't been announced yet. And then they, like, went and finished and editing it, and then they published it, and then they were like, no, look at that. That would be awesome if it got to be Chris Haynes. <laughs> yeah. Full circle. <laughs> yes. What do you think, Isaiah? I mean, I could see him just waiting until the last day of free agency and be like, yeah, okay, I'm ready now. <laughs> you know, I, I don't – like, he, he, just, he just operates differently than everyone else. And, you know – I assume the way he's going to announce it is he's going to send a pager to everyone because, you know, that's just that would be the most Kawhi announcement possible. Not free agent, not social media, not leaks or anything like that. He's just going to send a page out and it's just going to say one word. It's going to say the city and that's going to be that. Well, he's going to have to say more than one word because he's going to have to clarify if he says L.A. That is true. Let's just hope he doesn't say that. He'll probably just leave it up. You know, they'll guess. He'll be like, I'll be at a training camp. You'll see if I'm there. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, I hope he does the thing that LeBron did where he did and then he just left the country. You know, <laughs> he just goes on vacation. But I think, I think something like really unexpected, like he goes up in a hot air balloon and like, drops a thousand pieces of paper that say what it is or I don't know just something really weird where everyone's like that was the strangest thing I've ever seen but I think I think 4th of July also uh that because that just that just feels like the day that like it it's given everybody a chance to you know do their big things everyone's getting really impatient and then if you wait too long after that then people are just going to be straight up mad because if he really doesn't make the decision for a while like it's just brought everything to a screaming halt and i don't think he wants to make people mad so i think fourth of july will probably be when it happens 
I really like the conspiracy theory that he's just waiting this long so that the Lakers miss out on all the decent free agents. And then they're just lost with four or five players on their team and have to pick up scraps. I'm, I'm sure that's not it. But that that would just be great if he if he came out and said it too. That Twitter be... is incredibly creative right now with their all of their ideas on Kawhi. I somebody I saw somebody I can't remember who it was, but um, somebody said that um, Kawhi will announce as soon as he can remember his Twitter password. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember who said that, but I thought that was so funny. I bet he's waiting for Stranger Things season three to come out, and then he's going to binge it. And then after he's done binging it, then he'll announce. Then he can make his announcement. <laughs> well, it's certainly going to be interesting to uh, find out when it happens and where it goes. And the Blazers have been nothing if not interesting and uh, thought-provoking in a year that we all thought it was going to be – I don't know what you guys thought. I thought it was going to be pretty quiet, and it is not. So um, – Thank you guys for joining us this evening. And um, how about y'all tell people how they can find your work? Uh, you can find my work on Blazer's Edge. I should hopefully have some new stuff looking at the shooting of all these new players coming out. Um, and then not related to basketball, I've been writing a lot about track and field, a uh, much different sport. Um and I was just at the pre-classic, so if anybody's interested in track, they should check out my Twitter and the links to all the stories that I've been writing. And your Twitter is? Uh, Nate underscore man one three. Awesome. Thank you. How about you, Isaiah? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Isaiah Delos, D-E-L-O-S. And you can also follow the throwback highlights, NBA highlights channel that I write at Slam Rewind. Which is so fun, by the way. The last time you were on the podcast, you talked about it, and I've followed it ever since, and it's awesome. Slam Rewind. So it's your <laughs> personal one. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, oh, Cassie, how about you? You can find me on the What Podcast, and you can also find me on Twitter at Cassidy Gemmet, G-E-M-M-E-T. Well, and I will take us out of here. You can find me on uh, Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can find the Blazers Edge podcast on Apple iTunes or whatever it's called or whatever place that you get your podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and rate and review. You can follow Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge and you can find Blazers Edge on BlazersEdge.com. You can follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. And I think that about covers everything. So unless something else big happens, we will probably be back um, probably next week. We shall see how uh, we shall see how it goes. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye bye.